Hi, this is Mimi, and welcome to my podcast, The Lovely Becoming. Today's guest is Dr. Mary, Amy Mariaskin, who is a licensed clinical psychologist in the Nashville, Tennessee area. She's the director of the Nashville OCD and Anxiety Treatment Center. Hi. Hi, Mimi. Thanks so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. How are you? I'm doing well and don't feel bad about starting to say Dr. Mary. Askin, as though my last name is Askin because I get it all the time. I've even gotten that people think my first name is Amy Mary. I am not from the South, but apparently this like double name thing is big in the South. So a lot of people are like, oh yeah, it's Amy Mary, Dr. Askin. I'm like, nope. But anyway, yes, I'm doing well. (laughs) Amazing. I I feel better about that. I was like, oh gosh. But um, so tell us about yourself. What do you do? What do you love? Well, as you mentioned, I am a licensed clinical psychologist and I'm the founding director of the Nashville OCD and Anxiety Treatment Center in Brentwood, Tennessee. I am also a member of the International OCD Foundation. I do um, local and national speaking about OCD, anxiety, and related disorders. And um And I am an author to be, I'm working on a book right now. So sort of professionally, I've taken on a lot of new, new, wearing a lot of hats right now. Um, And as far as what I love to do, I am, um, I'm an avid doodler. So I draw a lot and draw for our clinic's Instagram, draw little comics. I love swimming. I love food. I love solitude. And, um, I love finding like new plants when I'm walking in a forest. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Those are some like things. To collect plants and take care of them or just kind of see them in nature. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, the poor plants that are under my care. No, they need to be out in nature where they can thrive because, uh, they need not to come home and, um, wither under my gaze. So, yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I can't even have succulents. I just, yeah. Okay, so um, today's topic is relationships and OCD, um, which is what your book is going to be about, and I'm so excited for it to come into the world. Um, What are some common obsessions and compulsions you see in clients with relationship-themed OCD? Thanks for asking. So the the book is going to be about relationships and OCD and like the impact of all different kinds of OCD symptoms, but there will be quite an emphasis on this one subset of symptoms that you alluded to called relationship OCD. And that's, those are OCD symptoms where the OCD attacks the relationship itself. And this can be any important relationship. It can be romantic relationship, parent-child relationship. It can be with friends. Most often you're going to see it manifest in romantic relationships. So I will talk primarily about that, but with relationship themed OCD or, or so-called ROCD, there are a lot of themes about things like uh, compatibility or fit between your, you know, oneself and one's partner. Um, and that can be things like personality, life goals. Um, it can be appearance. So, you know, am I well-suited appearance-wise to this person? Do we look good enough? Are we sort of like matched in our level of attractiveness? Um, Are we well-matched, of course, personality-wise, goals-wise? Do I love this person enough? Do they love me enough? And so with the do they love me enough, this can really come off as just looking like insecure attachment, like a lot of reassurance, um, a lot of kind of... um, 
yeah, wanting that affirmation in a relationship more than you would otherwise. Um, there's also a subtype of ROCD called partner-focused ROCD in which somebody will, uh, the person with OCD will look at their partner or friend or whomever. I've seen it in a parent-child relationship as well, which, um, which can be quite painful. And it's, it's like perfectionism applied to the other person. So as you are you know, getting to know a person, or if you've been in a relationship with someone, you just sort of um, zoom in on their perceived flaws and really kind of amplify those in, in your brain. And again, this can be physical appearance, like will I ever get over, you know, her uneven eyebrows, it can be something like that, or it can be about, um, you know, am I, is this the right person with whom to start a family? And, you know, I can't get over the fact that they wouldn't, um, you know, that, that, that they don't know the, they seem sometimes to make these grammatical errors. Like, do I really want my child growing up when, you know, um, with somebody who doesn't have good grammar? So I'm using these sort of deliberately, I know on the surface, they seem like silly characteristics, um, because oftentimes they are, and that's not because the person with OCD is like, um, you know, is, wants to be uh, superficial or wants to be, you know, nitpicky. It's just that's where the OCD has landed. And that's kind of how we know it's OCD is that it isn't consistent with their overall values. They can say, well, you know, the eyebrows shouldn't matter. And yet I, I just can't stop from thinking about it. And I can't stop from, you know, sort of picking my partner apart. Um, you can also have, it's really big category. You can also have um, <laughs> kind of like uh, retro, uh, retroactive jealousy. So like jealousy of past partners or um, desire to need to know everything about past partners. So let's say you enter into a relationship and then you are concerned about uh, who has my partner been with in the past? What did their intimacy look like? and um, just this kind of need to know, which can feel very invasive to the partner. Um, ROCD often has this quality of urgency, like I need to know now, I need to make this decision about this partnership now. And it can lead to either highlighting or downplaying um, difficulties in the relationship. So if there's any kind of like small thing, it can be amplified by OCD, or it can almost be downplayed in the sense that, um, it's so hard for me to make a decision about the relationship that I don't know how to evaluate. Like, even if there are, you know, the kind of, I hate the term red flags, but sort of so-called red flags, it might sort of be like, well, but how do I know for sure that this is bad? So I want to stop and just acknowledge everybody who's listening that that could be feel a little triggering because there was a lot of uncertainty in there, but, um, yeah, that's my answer. <laughs> Amazing. That was so helpful. I think breaking it down into the different subtypes. And I think you did a good job of distinguishing between kind of more normal um, fears that we would expect in a relationship and more um, obsessive kind of uh, thoughts related to it. Right, right. Yeah. And that's really tough. I mean, I think when I'm working with clients, they're like, oftentimes, maybe it would be something that would be like a more typical you know, more typical fear or concern, but it's like the, the volume is miscalibrated. It's either really, really high or it's, it's really low. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
That's a good, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, how do partners help or hurt their partners struggling with OCD? Um, yeah. Yeah, so I think that um, it's important for partners and in a romantic partnership, um, it, it's important for them to, one of the best things you can do is learn about OCD educate yourself about OCD. And of course the person with OCD will, will likely, you know, hook you up with some resources and things like that. Uh, learn about it and then sort of like, uh, like learn about it, but also stay in your lane, right? Like you're not a therapist. You're not here to be like, well, that sounds like it's just your OCD because I think one of the things that comes up when I'm working with couples and I've been increasingly doing more and more work with couples is um, this idea of, the OCD being, this is probably too strong of a term, but almost being like weaponized against the person who has it such that everything can be chalked up to OCD um, in, an, in a really unhelpful and um, inaccurate way. So I would say like educate yourself about OCD, but also remember your, your partner is more than their OCD. You know, they are, uh, they're, they're, they're a person with motivations other than just that anxiety. Um, I would say take care of yourself as a partner as well. So like get your own therapy if, if needed, um, get your own support. Um, you know, in terms of like, there's a lot out there about reductions of accommodations and accommodations are these things that loved ones can do to sort of assuage the anxiety, sort of lower the anxiety of the person with OCD or foster avoidance for the person with OCD. And that we know over time, these things are not helpful. That being said, um, we wanna meet people where they are. So like if you have, if your partner is trust you enough to say, oh, you know, I have this thing called OCD. I'm having, you know, I have intrusive thoughts. This is really hard for me. It's hard for me when we go to, um, I don't know, when we go to that one, you know, kitchen supplies store and, you know, the, the one aisle with sharp knives is really hard for me. Again, for a partner to say, what can I do to support you in that situation and to help you not completely avoid, but also not flood you? think like there's a lot of literature about like reduce accommodation. So like, you know, if taken in a really like ham fisted way, it could be like, well, I'm going to take my partner to the kitchen store and we're going to march up and down the knife aisle. And it's like, number one, you're not their therapist. And number two, it's, you know, that can really come off as insensitive and sort of invalidating. So I think it's like, sort of feels like the same as when I talk to parents about how they can help their kids is finding that balance of how to support growth and reduction of symptoms while validating and respecting that this is really hard work and that it needs to go slowly. Um, so those are some of the things that come to mind and that I think are sort of globally applicable across different OCD symptom subtypes. And then I think depending on the symptom subtype, there might be some little kind of little tweaks in there or differences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really important, I think, because 
I think in the therapeutic role, you know that you're meant to be challenged and you know that you're meant to be kind of pushed beyond your limits a little bit. Whereas Mm -hmm. in relationships, there's something to be said about respecting your boundaries. Um, And not to say that a therapist shouldn't respect your boundaries, but I think they can kind of have, create a space where it's, it's more about challenge and more about kind of supporting you as you do those hard things. That's a great way to put it because it really is the, yeah, what is the role of the relationship? And in a partnership, if, if the role becomes too close to that in a therapeutic relationship, then that's a real, like there are a lot of inherent kind of power dynamics in the therapist-client relationship. And so I think kind of bringing those into a romantic relationship can be um, yeah, detrimental. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, let's talk about sex and OCD. Um, we could talk about the fear of contamination of bodily fluids, fear of being abandoned, um, worrying about sexual orientation, um, stuff like that. Yeah, it is such an important area. Um, and it's, it's, I would be hard pressed to think of any OCD kind of symptom subtype that doesn't either affect sexual intimacy or, or at least have the possibility to do so, right? Because we want to be careful about like, yeah, I mean, the contamination of bodily fluids is, is, is so prevalent for people with contamination. And then there are some people with contamination OCD that, that don't have that. And I know, I know Mimi, you and I know that, but I feel like (laughs) as we're talking to just make that clear that not everybody with contamination will have this type of contamination. Um, But yeah, that's a really common one. Um, Really common one is like intrusive, unwanted intrusive thoughts during um, sex, any type of sex. And again, I'm going to use sex broadly. I'm not talking about any sort of like, you know, I'm not talking about like heteronormative penetrative sex or anything like that. I'm not talking about, you know, just anything that is sort of physical intimacy. I think OCD can, um, can affect it. And if you have intrusive thoughts, um, that can seem really scary. And, and I, it can, that can almost feel like a contamination issue in itself. Like, okay, sex is this sort of like sacred space that has to go a certain way. Right. And I have to feel a certain way and I have to be 100% in it. Um, and so then if I have intrusive thoughts, well, now I've sort of like contaminated this, this moment or this union. Um, and I think making space for not making space for the intrusive thoughts in the sense that you're like, you know, Hey, like, come on in, let's think about this on purpose. Although I think if people are willing to to do that, that's cool too. Like it is. Um, but what, when I say making space, what I mean is, allowing for your brain's going to do the things that it does, right? And if you have an OC brain that tends to go to these kind of like dark or taboo places, um, know that that might happen during sex and kind of coming back to the sensory experience of, um, you know, tactile, like, what are you feeling? Um, smells, you know, like, what are you smelling? What are you seeing? Um, But just sort of knowing that, like, that's not, it's, it's not an indicator of, you know, your, your uh, ability to be intimate with somebody. Um, 
I think too, like knowing that um, given, like you said, um, you know, unwanted thoughts about say um, sexual preferences or sexual orientation, that kind of thing. Um, it's interesting because yes, those, I, I feel like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this is gonna feel probably less black and white than I think those listening might want it to. And I, I but I think it's realistic, which is, so we can have intrusive thoughts, right? That are unwanted, that are not consistent with our desires. We can also have sort of like fantasies or fetishes that are, um, that are arousing, that are still not what we want to do in the bedroom. So here, I'll take a step back here and say, um, like I've had people come in and they say, you know, I'm ha I have intrusive thoughts. I have unwanted thoughts about, you know, I'm not, I'm unsure about my sexual orientation. And, you know, and I'm not sure too, because like I have these kinds of like, oh, I have unwanted thoughts about BDSM. You know, I just, I just, they're, they're coming in and I don't know what to do with them. I say, okay, well, what do you do with that? And so for some of the like intrusive unwanted ones, they're saying things like, you know, I, um, I am avoiding things that might remind me of a different sexual orientation, or I'm really like, I'm watching a lot of pornography of that particular orientation to sort of check and convince myself. And then for like this particular person for the BDSM stuff, um, this person was like, yeah, I'm, I'm watching pornography and like, I really, you know, it's exciting to me and I like it, but I don't, that's not me because I don't like to hurt people. Okay. So it gets really complicated, right? Because the OCD is the thing that's conflating kind of fantasy or um, preferences, you know, what, what's arousing with like who you are as a person. <laughs> so it's almost like a moral scrupulosity kind of comes in and is like, no, 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 fantasies can only look like this and sex can only look like this. Um, performance anxiety, right? Like, how is this going to go? Um, my friend actually, uh, who's a colleague here in Nashville and you might know her as well, Mimi, Valerie Martin. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so she introduced me to the term um, erectile unpredictability instead of erectile dysfunction, which I really like. Um, so for people with penises, if they're having um, difficulty sustaining an erection or, or it, it, you know, getting an erection, things like that, um, that there's a lot of ways that OCD can either sort of create that because OCD is not sexy when OCD comes in the bedroom. It's not sexy when it's like, oh, you're going to get that fluid on you. Like what if it's, you know, or you're having intrusive thoughts. And so, yeah, your performance is gonna be, you know, a little different. So it, it can affect in that way. And it can affect in the way of um, like our interpretations of what that means. Um, so there are a lot of places I think where it can come in. I encourage people to um, talk to one another with their, their partners about, this is how OCD comes up. I mean, if you've disclosed that you have that you have OCD with your partner, this is how it's likely to come up. And um, and knowing that, yeah, you want a partner who's going to kind of roll with that and say, what can I do in the moment? How can we be creative? What kind of touch feels feels good? Because maybe some of it just is too scary right now. 
So those are just some of the things that I'm that I've I've thought about, and I'm getting ready to write this chapter. So I'm super like in the zone about it. <laughs> I'm so glad. Um, something that stood out to me is that a lot of things with OCD, I think, can feel like a slippery slope. And so, for example, if you are experiencing unwanted intrusive thoughts about harming someone, you might think, well, I can't enjoy and watch crime shows because that's kind of a slippery slope into going ahead and feeling like I want to harm someone. And so I think it's interesting that there's so much that we're kind of avoiding as well, because it might slip into a worse um, or a more intense feeling intrusive thought. Right. Yeah. So like avoidance of sex as a means to, yeah, avoid, yeah, what if this intensifies or what if I start having intrusive thoughts about my partner in this way or what if it, yeah, it's, it is interesting because it's like, it's a fear yeah, it's a fear of the symptoms themselves getting worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really common too, um, of of worrying about what intrusive thoughts will pop up during certain things. And I think it's important to recognize that OCD will travel with you to every event, to every thing. And it, it feels so unfair because like how come other people don't have to deal with this in the moment? How come other people can experience like peace and joy during these experiences. But I think that's where some radical acceptance come in, comes in, like it may not be fair. And what can you do about it now that you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And I think too, having those realistic expectations of like, you know, I think we'll talk about dating too. And I think with sex and dating, like expect OCD to come along. I mean, if it doesn't pop up bonus, okay. Like, all right. So that's something, you know, that that it's, it's like, you know, it's like, maybe this isn't a great metaphor, but you know, it's about like, I think about, um, I'll use this example because it's important. It's a, it's, it's apropos for the episode. Like uh, when I got married, I was like, oh, I want to have an outdoor ceremony. Right. I couldn't predict the weather. So I didn't know whether or not it was going to be rainy, stormy. It ended up being beautiful, but just like a little bit hot. So like all the pictures, there's like this, you know, this sheen of sweat on everyone, um, (laughs) which I could choose to be like, oh, I wish it wasn't so hot or just be like, oh, that's, you know, that was the day that I had. Right. So it's kind of like that was the day that I had. This is the brain that some of us have. And this is the way that, you know, it may show up. And yes, there's tremendous grieving around that. But I think in the acceptance is, it's almost like part of the the battle with these things is not setting up the expectation of perfection without there being any of those thoughts or any of these desires or sorry, or urges or things like that. Because then you're almost setting yourself up for like anything that comes up that deviates from perfection is, um, is devastating. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. That's really important because I know I can get wrapped up in like things need to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it's terrible and it can't be right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what should you do if you're scared to date because of the potential intrusive thoughts that might come up, which we kind of talked about a little bit. Um, but how do you distinguish between 
uh, doing that exposure work and leaning into discomfort of dating versus not really actually feeling ready to date. I think it's it's a tough thing because like even that last part that you said, like feeling ready, whew, that is a loaded one, right? With OCD, because I think like, will you ever feel ready, right? And I think that the question is, can we talk about like ready enough, right? Because I think knowing, all right, I'm probably not going to feel 100% ready all in. Um, and maybe, maybe you will, maybe you won't, but knowing like, okay, it's going to be uncomfortable, but is it worth it when I think about the benefits? What do I want from dating? Um, do I want to explore who I am romantically, who I am sexually? Do I want to um, develop intimacy? Am I thinking about building a family? Am I thinking about, um, you know, bringing in another partner? If I have a primary partner, like what is it that you are kind of, what is the motivation? What are those potential benefits? And then also like the motivation of, um, it kind of goes back to what I said before, like dating is, um, I mean, love is a battlefield. <laughs> <laughs> um, so dating is rife with, um, you, you probably will be rejected and you probably will reject others. And that is really hard. Like people with OCD, I know we're not supposed to make generalizations, but like uh, compassionate, loving, kind, ethical. I mean, like, again, not sweeping generalization, but in my, in my work, by and large, like there are people who, who don't want to hurt others and don't want to be hurt. And I say, if that's the case, well, like, don't make any friends, don't leave your house, don't leave, like, don't do anything, don't get a job. Like, we're, we have to open ourselves up to that possibility of um, sort of interpersonal harm. Um, so, I would say if, if people are scared about dating, you know, focus on whatever something feels really overwhelming. I say like, focus on step one. Is step one, like you want to meet some people who, uh, who could be friends who might be like potential partners. Um, I've, you know, like common interests, right? Like finding people with common interests. I think apps are great for exposures because apps are, I don't know. I'm sure there are people out there that really love the apps and feel like, oh, everybody's so like respectful on the apps and this is great, but um, <laughs> I haven't met any of them. Um, so yeah, just knowing like I am willing to take the risk of, you know, being rejected or rejecting someone else of, of heartbreak of all those things. Um, and then, you know, depending on who you are and your identity also like, you know, in, in your past and if you've had trauma, like that's where it gets difficult too, because, you know, there are, um, I want for people to be conscious about their, their safety, right? Like I want for people to be, um, you know, to, to be cautious 
But I think what OCD does is it's like, oh, well, there's a possibility of harm befalling me. So like, oh, I'm going to just like defer that till later. And then before you know it, it's been like years and years. And you're kind of like, will I ever feel ready? And if you are asking yourself that question and the answer is no, and the benefits are worth it, because again, like not everybody wants to be in a relationship, right? Not everybody wants to be sexual and that's cool too. But I think that's what it's about is also considering the side of the equation that is like the benefits. Mm-hmm. I like that weighing your um, possibilities and being able to see, like, engage your wise mind, if you will. Um, (laughs) So I think that's really helpful. Um, How and when should someone disclose about their OCD to a partner? Um, And how much should you tell them about your intrusive thoughts? Yeah, great question. There are so many dynamics in a relationship, in any particular relationship. I mean, I always always think about like part of the reason that I got into psychology. So I was initially going to be a, um, I thought I was going to be a fiction writer for a long time. And I was taking some psych courses to kind of like broaden my knowledge of like, you know, the human condition. I wanted to write more effective characters. And I just, I just fell in love with like every person every single person. And I would say animals also, but like, that's a different podcast. Um, But like, I like, there's so much complexity, the world within each person. So when you talk about people in relation with one another, you have the confluence of like these two very complex worlds, right? Sort of coming together and which parts kind of come together. What do you reveal? So I say all that to say that um, there's no kind of like, it's really hard to come up with general guidelines when each relationship is so, is so different. That being said, when people are thinking about disclosure, I always have them start with the sort of querying their why. What is the function of the disclosure? What, what do you hope to gain here? Um, because, you know, Sometimes there's like a rule underneath that. And so I don't want to be somebody who's like contributing to somebody's internal rules in an an unhelpful way. So the rule might be, well, before before we um, have sexual intimacy, I have to disclose. Or the rule might be, I'm I'm not being um, 100% authentic if I don't disclose. Um, Or the rule might be, you know, if it was... uh, I don't know if this is going to go to this stage, then I have to disclose. Um, It could also be sort of like a confessing, like I just, I urgently feel like I have to. And so if the whys feel like they're rule bound or they're kind of like to alleviate your own anxiety, um, 100%, I mean, there's nothing wrong with like, we get into relationships because we want that comfort. But if it's like, I urgently have to say something or else I'm lying, that sounds like a moral group compulsion, right? Or like a confession compulsion. So I would say looking into that first and then really considering like trust in the person to whom you disclose. What kind of evidence do you have that this is somebody who has um, demonstrated kind of kindness and understanding um, where you feel like it is a safe place for this information to land, to be received, and then to be sort of discussed. Um, That being said, I also think it's valid 
like if your if your purpose in going to in, in getting into relationships is like I mean I know the last time I was dating I was kind of like I like want somebody for a long time <laughs> I want like I want a long term thing I didn't know if I wanted to get married or anything like that but I was like yeah it's probably gonna it'll last until it doesn't um, and that's not something like I wasn't looking for a fling so <clears throat> going into something with that mindset. Like, I also think it's okay to just disclose as soon as you want to, if it's going to be a deal breaker, if you're going to be like, look, you know, I don't know. And you don't have to say like, I have OCD. You can be wearing a big old mental health matters pin or something like that. <laughs> Other ways to get this information about, is this person going to be somebody who takes mental health seriously? Um, so that's kind of generally. And then I think for the intrusive thoughts, you know, I, I just think there's so much shame built up in intrusive thoughts that the less alone we can be with these thoughts, the better. And so, yeah, it's a risk. It's a risk to tell someone what if they don't understand. Um, <clears throat> I would say if they are those partner, if you're having ROCD and they're the partner focused obsessions, and you're, you're like, you might not want to lead with like, so I think about your eyebrows all the time, or I think about your, your grammar. Um, but so I think there's a lot of, I, I know this is, boy, this is contributing to uncertainty rather than certainty, but there's so many ways to think about what you disclose, how much you disclose, the, the level of like granularity that you want to get into. But I will say with intrusive thoughts, you know, it's been pretty rare that if somebody's in a relationship with a really like strong foundation, that it's rare to me that they're going to disclose intrusive thoughts and the partner's going to be like, what? Ooh, no, I'm, I'm done. I'm out. Now, here's the thing that I would say, if they do, like, that's really good information that you might not want. But I mean, I wouldn't want to be just personally speaking. <laughs> so yeah, is that, does that kind of address it? Yeah, definitely. And I think that part about information is interesting because we tend to put or attach a lot of emotions to information that we're getting. Um, and I think it's helpful to see it as like, that really helps me figure out what, what I want to do next and what I need in the moment. Um, yeah. 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 And I think like, um, the other night at one of the, um, OCD groups that I lead, um, I ended up saying, you know, disclosure is exposure and everybody laughed. Cause we were like, it rhymes. Like <laughs> somehow we had never heard a rhyme before, but it is right. Disclosure is exposure. And it's a, it's an exposure, um, socially it's like an intimacy exposure. So I like the idea. I might sort of play around with that as a, as a concept. I think probably people with OCD are sick of their therapist being like, everything's an exposure opportunity. And I think there's a really good one. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's like, you know, what, what are they thinking about me? Are they lying to me when they say they can be supportive? Like right. just sitting with all those thoughts is such an exposure. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. All right. Um, what about intrusive thoughts that are rooted in things that happened or are likely to happen? Um, so for example, if you have been rejected in a relationship, um, maybe several times before, you know, what does it look like to lean into that again, but also to kind of protect yourself? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I think that question gets at sort of the synthesis of everything we've been talking about, which is like thinking about, I think when you have OCD, you have anxiety, we get really, really good at considering the risks of every situation. And the risks end up being this sort of monolithic thing. It kind of crowds out everything else that we can see, including the potential benefits, including um, the growth that might even come. I mean, easy, easy for, for me to say maybe in a relationship now, but like the growth from like rejection, like what we learn from rejections, what we learn from who we want to, um, who we want to get closer to, you know, it's, I've never met anyone who hasn't been rejected. Like I'll start there and most of us like multiple times. So I think like knowing that, yeah, going in with the sort of like, you know, how do I want to protect myself without, without like how much armor, really this question is like how much armor? do I need to have, right? How much do I need to, you know, vet people or how slowly do I need to go? How, how quickly, you know, and there's a part of me that's like, again, that's going to be different with each relationship because we have two people with their own unique worlds. And looking at this as like with curiosity as like a learning sort of experience um, and not learning about like, what's the right thing to do, but like, who am I in, in relationship? Um, I think, uh, I think knowing like I, I have been hurt before I may be hurt again. And, and again, here, it sounds like you're asking not about like, you know, like abuse, but more about sort of like the, the, the rejection that happens in relationships. I would say if there has been like abuse in a relationship, emotional or, or physical, sexual, um, then that is, I guess I would take a step back to say like, that's really important to do the work of like promising, I'm sorry, not uh, processing that trauma and, um, you know, getting your, your body in a place that's like more receptive. But I think otherwise, and I'm realizing as I'm talking, this is kind of a non-answer, but I think otherwise it's about, um, it's, I mean, maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's a disclosure at the beginning is I've been hurt a lot. I'm really like, this is terrifying. Like I, I would appreciate that honestly on a date. If somebody was like, I'm also a therapist, so I don't know, that might be weird, but, <laughs> but for somebody to be like, I am, th this is scary. I'm like glad to be here and I'm terrified. Um, I think that can be really powerful because you don't, there's like, I don't know if people still feel this way in dating, but I feel like when I was dating, like a lot of people are, especially, um, you know, people who identify like masculine of center, I think we're a lot more like, you know, I have to be confident or whatever. And I'm like, why? Like, if you're not, you're not. So I don't know. That's kind yeah. of, those are my thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I love that. <laughs> I think that's really helpful. And it's like, why do we need to pretend to be something that we're not? And that can go into so much about society and everything. Um, but there's something to be said about just being honest with where you are. Mm -hmm. All right. So I would love to talk about a case study. Um, and just to clarify um, for everyone that's not based on a specific 
uh, client that um, Dr. Mary Askins sees, uh, it's kind of little pieces of lots of people. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to do, yeah, I wanted to do a little bit of a case study to just talk about how OCD can affect a romantic relationship and how this um, fictional individual sort of like, um, yeah, worked through that with um, his partner. So 27 year old uh, white man um, who we'll call Brian with primary kind of contamination OCD and relationship OCD. So the contamination OCD was kind of like a hybrid contamination health OCD. So fears of chemicals, ammonia, bleach, um, any kind of caustic chemical. So even like, like Windex, things like that. Um, and worries that those were going to um, cause cancer or otherwise you know, have some kind of a harmful effect. And so a lot of avoidance and a lot of cleaning and things like that. And also um, relationship OCD didn't, didn't kind of come out until later because as we were working together, um, he met his girlfriend and, um, and right off the bat, it was like, okay, she can't come to my place because, you know, like there's a decontamination protocol, basically, like she's got to, you know, change her clothes. And so they ended up dating for quite a while before he disclosed um, some of these kinds of symptoms, and they could only date at like safe places. Um, and it was really interesting, because his ability to disclose to her, I have OCD. And so, you know, I have these kinds of worries, contextualized, um, a lot of the, a lot of his behaviors to her. So a lot of what she was maybe misconstruing as like, um, he doesn't want to be close enough to like, I can't even go to his house. Like he's not coming to my house, those kinds of things. So disclosure was a really powerful point in their relationship because it didn't, I think a lot of times people with OCD are worried about like, well, people might mis misunderstand or think I'm, you know, weird or a freak or a weak or whatever it is, you know, all these shame spirally thoughts that come up, but really it's, it can be quite the opposite that when people know this is OCD, this is not like a personal preference that it can be helpful. So they kind of did like, um, some, uh, like a parallel hierarchy of exposures for him and then exposures, uh, accommodation reduction for her. So initially she had like safe clothes at his house and then she was able to, you know, they were both able not to wash, you know, just in case they'd come in contact with any chemicals or anything like that. So they kind of worked together on that. Um, and in a case like this, you know, I would have the partner come in if they're, they're willing. Um, we could kind of talk about it all together and just have it be open. Um, because again, if it was some kind of like a physical illness that where we didn't attach this kind of stigma, we probably would just be like, well, of course you're going to help me with my, you know, management of my chronic illness. And of course you're, you know, we're gonna have to change the way we eat or the way we do certain activities. Um, and then the ROCD kind of came in the closer that they got. <laughs> The closer they got, the ROCD started to come in of how do I know that she's right for me? How do I know that I'm in this for the long haul? And his, it was interesting because I've had clients like this kind of swap between do I love her enough? Does she love me enough? 
Mm -hmm. And, um, and so we talked about like, how does that come up in the relationship? Is it reassurance? Sometimes it was nonverbal reassurance. It was like, he'd come up and he'd hug her. And like, did she hug back? He was sort of analyzing, like, what's the pressure of the hug? Like, how much is she leaning in? Is there nuzzling (laughs) verbalizations? And so for her, she kind of got it like really good at being like, Uh uh-uh like this is that's a compulsive hug like you look anxious and you're walking over for a hug and she was like not today not right now (laughs) um and which is really cool right because I mean you hear about that and on the surface that sounds like well oh you know he must have felt so rejected like they would just kind of laugh about it so there was this real and I think this is also part of my clinical style but there is this real playfulness kind of injected into the relationship in a way that OCD often isn't like allowed to be like OCD is serious and scary. And it is, you know, it 100% is, that is the experience that people have. But if we can find the levity, it sort of takes the wind out of its sails. Um, So I thought it would be nice to just kind of go through like what that might look like for a couple. Yeah, that's so helpful. And I really like that playfulness and how um, it can become like a running little inside joke with compulsions mm-hmm. um and it's just kind of I mean it's not fun to have compulsions but it's it's nice when someone understands you and is able to um is able to kind of help you out in a way that is really helpful but may not feel helpful in the moment if that makes sense it does and I think that's where we go back to this yeah but your partner's still your partner and not your therapist so what I said to them too is also talk about it like for him if he's like no this is an OCD like I just want to give you a hug like talk about it. And for her, like, listen to him. If that's the case, like trust him, you know? And so I think it was really cool, um, that they were, that they got, that they got there, so to speak. Yeah. 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 And definitely making sure there's a balance between like, when you disclose to someone that, um, you have OCD, I think it can be easy for all your actions to be clouded by their new knowledge of that OCD. Um, so being aware enough that you're able to kind of not contribute towards reassurance seeking, but also not letting it cloud your whole view of everything that person does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a balance for sure. Definitely. Isn't everything a balance? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so um, a fun question. What are your favorite foods? Oh, all of them. Um, so I've, uh, I've been vegetarian since I was 14 and I've been vegan for the past like four and a half years. And, um, that has challenged me too. Cause I would have said cheese. I would have <laughs> said cheese up until five years ago. And I'm not about to say vegan cheese. Cause I don't know if you've tasted it, but it's, um, it's getting better, but it's, you know, there's no like, yeah, there's no, in, in my, I mean, no shade to anybody who likes vegan cheese. It's, I'm glad it exists. Anyway, um, I love South Indian food. Um, I love, uh, you know, I love spicy food. I love food with a lot of textures. I really want for like my perfect food is colorful and like textural and has, you know, it can have lots of vegetables cause it needs to, you know, for, for me, like that's the, I have limited options. But if they're like coated in things where I can't tell they're vegetables, if it's like a curry, 
<laughs> where the main thing that I taste is the spices. Um, that's, that's kind of my favorite food. I love colorful food. I love food. That's like interactive too. I love to eat with my hands. Um, so yeah, I like it to be like a full body experience, not, I guess, mostly my mouth. I don't, I don't know. I like it. Yeah. I like to interact with my food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> that's awesome. I, that's so, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> my last question that I ask everybody is how are you becoming? Mm, the hard question. Um, I was thinking about this and for me, where I am right now, um, I have this clinic, it's grown and grown and, you know, I've got more things going on in my life than ever before. And I have, for whatever reason, I kind of see myself as like a lone wolf a lot of the time. Like I am somebody who is, um, I like to do my own thing. I like to take care of myself. I like to be very self-sufficient. And one way that I am becoming now is that I am accepting help and, um, and reaching out for support, um, which sounds really, I mean, it's, it is what it is, but like as a therapist, it's an interesting thing to say, right? Because I think I'm way more comfortable supporting and helping others than I am receiving help. Um, I had a rough couple of years with um, some like health issues. Um, my joke is that like there were uh, there was a three year period where I was uh, sorry a two year period where I was averaging getting an organ removed a year. Um, <laughs> sounds way more dramatic. And then when you're like, okay, it's just two surgeries in two years, but like, that was a lot. And, um, and a lot of kind of changes of like uh, my, my body and what I can do with my body. And it was very humbling and sad. And, um, I think like forced me into becoming, um, more, I don't know, just more like interdependent, which is great than writing a book about relationships. Like that's a good thing to learn and know that it's important. Um, so I would say, yeah, I'm becoming by, uh, by, by reaching out more by like, you know, delegating or getting help or getting support or resting and letting, you know, other people kind of take care of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It only took 42 years. It's fine. <laughs> Sometimes it's an overtime process, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and for this wonderful conversation. You're welcome.